Cool. Oh, did you, I don't know if you guys have heard this. Have you heard like some bass stuff going on? This is very impressive, you guys. It's the neighbors across the street. Okay, Rob, we need some competition, baby. <laughs> oh my God, we walked outside. We're like, where's that coming from? We walked outside and the neighbors are like, whoever's in that garage, man, pray for their hearing. It was awesome. All right, so hey, uh, everybody grab your phones. Uh, a few times during this series, we actually have some poll questions to kick off the message. So get out your phone and we are gonna scan this QR code right there. Oops, it just left, there it is. Get that on again. And uh, if this is your first time doing this with us, just go ahead and uh, you might need to uh, sign up. Hopefully it'll just take you right to the app. We got like three questions we're gonna do today and um, you'll just answer them. You'll have about 30 seconds, okay, to answer each question. And then we'll get a good sense of uh, what we believe here at K2, the church, about some very, very fun topics uh, to kick off what I'm gonna be talking about tonight. All right, so once we get all set, the presenter, it says, will ask the question. We're giving each of you a little bit, give you a minute or two, or maybe not, maybe another 60 seconds or so to, to get it all going. How many, of you got, how many of you already in and ready to go? Look at you, technologically advanced people. All right, we're ready to go. So now we will get our first question. It'll pop up here on your phone. Okay, in the world today, what is the most popular source of truth? Okay, not what do you think is the source of truth. What do you think is the most popular source of truth in our world today? In our culture, where are people deciding this is where truth comes from? What do you think is the most popular source of truth? Here we are. All right. The big winner, ourselves. Cool. 43% believe that in today's world, self-determined. And then we also just get truth from what our culture tells us, right? The air that we breathe. That's how I say it, man. We just, we just breathe the air of a certain way to think about things. And then science, 18, and there is no source, three. All right. So that's where we think the most popular source of truth. Here's the second question. What social media platform do you think is most true? <laughs> Love that response. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok? Basically, we're just going to find out how old you are by your answer. Which media platform do you think is the most true out of these four? They're all true. Yeah, we should have put that answer down. <laughs> all right. Oh, TikTok. Poor TikTok. I, I, I wasn't in here. Mariah, did you talk about how TikTok has this revival going on it? Yeah, yeah come on, man. Give, love, give some love to TikTok, man. Apparently God's moving. All right, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, uh, we did. We could have put there all of them or none of the above. That would have been right. All right, so here you go. Here's your third question to get us into today's message. Who is the Antichrist? <laughs> is that you? My wife sounded like some. Here we go. Is it Satan? Is it someone who denies Christ? Is it Hitler or SpongeBob? 
Well, that was quick. Hi. Hitler did not win in more ways than one. All right. So 38% Satan and 46% someone who denies Christ. All right. So uh, yeah, this will be a little bit, a little bit fun tonight. This is the passage. So, what, so if you don't know, uh, right now we're going through this letter that uh, one of the disciples of Jesus, his name was John. <clears throat> I love how John described himself. He says, I am the beloved. He like so knew how much God loved him, how much Jesus loved him, that he called himself that. And he wrote this letter to his church, to his group of people. And he's trying to help them to understand, we're calling it, what is the good life? What is the good life? And so uh, one of the things that John has told us, because then we're walking right through the letter, okay? So we're just gonna go right through it. And today we're gonna hit the old antichrist stuff. So this was fun studying this week. But what is the good life? First thing John told us was, it's Jesus. Like it's, it's not something we, we do, it's a person. It literally is Jesus Christ. And he, and he said, Jesus is actually the creator and the source of life, okay? And so that, that as he exuded, what did he do? He had the fruit of the spirit. Why is Jesus the good life? Well, if the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of Jesus is love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. You're not going to find a human on this planet who says, oh my God, if the world could just be like that. Well, that's who Jesus is. He is the source of everything that's good. And then John said, he's actually, he is eternal life. So when you receive Christ, actually, he said, and Jesus said, this is how, this is eternal life that you know intimately and personally the one true God in Jesus whom he sent. I know about him but you can actually share your life. God wants to share his life with you. Jesus wants to share his life with you and you get to share it with him, all right? So that's the good life and that's it. And then it's being in relationship with Jesus, sharing life. And then there's these themes he said. So all through the book, he says, there's three things that help you have the good life. You actually have to have true belief. You have to have true faith. You need to actually think rightly about Jesus, okay? So if Jesus is the creator of all things and <clears throat> the source of life, then we gotta make sure we're thinking correctly about him. Second thing, he says, you actually have to have true obedience. If there is a way that is love and joy and peace and patience and everything that's good, then you gotta follow that way so you can experience it. And then the third thing he says is there's a true love. It's actually all about love, ultimately. Loving God with everything we got and loving each other the way Jesus loved us. So today I've titled this message, The Good Life is Pro-Jesus, okay? So if we're gonna go into some anti-Christ, then we're gonna talk about some pro-Jesus. And here's really what we're gonna look at tonight. Why Jesus? Why specifically Jesus? And then secondly, why salvation? Why is salvation actually the good life. Why is it good to actually be someone who is saved, right? We love Christmas. I love when the angels came up. They said, we've got good news of great joy. A what has been born? A savior. This is good news actually, okay? So that's what we're gonna be looking at today. 
All right, so I'm just gonna read the section of the letter that we're gonna do today. It's 1 John chapter two, verses 18 through 27, all right? Um, but I feel, I feel like I gotta do this. this actually, there's a, there's a lot of teaching in this passage and, um, and I've been wrestling with it. I've been thinking about it. I was telling Susie today, like actually when I'm just driving in my car or if I'm taking a walk, the thoughts are just coming to me. This is so cool but then you can get all heady about this stuff and then, and then it gets kind of confusing. I just, would you guys pray with me? That God will just make this super clear today. <laughs> that he'll just cut through all of this and just go, because this is really good news today. But let's pray that God will help us hear it, okay? Father, thanks for being here. Thanks for your presence. Thanks for the fact that you speak to us. Thanks for the fact, God, that you love every person in this room, deeply. God, thank you that each person's here, not by accident. You knew everyone who would be here tonight and you know what you wanna say to each one of us, specifically and individually, and also corporately. So Lord, as your word, even as I read your word, Holy Spirit, just come, shine light in our hearts, help us to understand it so that we can know you. And we pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But, You have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who's a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Got it? (laughs) All right, let's go. All right, so here, let me just hit hit a few things. Again, what was happening is there were people within the church that were beginning to teach things that were the opposite of what Jesus had taught and the opposite of what John, one of his disciples who had heard point blank from Jesus. So he's trying to help everybody understand, you guys, there's some teaching out there. There's some ways of living out there. These people, they were, not, they were a part of us, but now we understand they really weren't because they weren't believing correctly about who Jesus is, all right? Let me just hit a couple things real quick. In here it says, this is the last hour, 
okay? So you go, what in the world's the last hour, okay? So the last days, it'd be similar to the last days. And I, I like how one guy said this. He goes, I think John was actually speaking theologically more than chronologically, okay? So basically, the, the, the last days are the period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, all right? So the scripture just says there is an age, there is a time span between when Jesus came and when he's gonna come again. And those are considered the last days. Acts 2.16 is the prophecy from Joel from the Old Testament. And it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So that's the period we live in, <laughs> okay? Did somebody just woohoo? Awesome. So that's my wife, man, she's into this message. All right, here we go. But so in the, what happened in the first coming of Christ, a different age, unparalleled, an unparalleled period of time began. The kingdom of heaven was now able to come to earth and we can experience it here on earth now, not in fullness, but we can. That's a new thing. That was this age. It was the defeat of Satan and the complete forgiveness of, of all sin. People could actually be reconciled with God and know him intimately and personally through the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's the last days. And then the second coming of Christ will be the culmination of history and it will complete what this age has actually begun, all right? So when you hear last days, last hour, he goes, it's actually not like right now, it's, it's more this age, okay? And now let's dive into the Antichrist. Here we go. John says, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, okay? So here's the first thing that we need to understand is the difference between the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. There we go. Are you not coming up here? I see it back there. There he is. The Antichrist and the Antichrist versus the spirit of the Antichrist. All right, so let me, let, here we go. There is a person who's called the Antichrist, okay? At the climax of history, at the end of the age, a certain individual will appear. He'll be energized by Satan and he will lead humanity in a rebellion against God and his people. Daniel, the prophet, you can read about him in there. Jesus himself talks about the same thing. The abomination that causes desolation is gonna come. Second Thessalonians chapter two, Paul calls this person the man of lawlessness. And he says, he will oppose everything that is called God and he will proclaim himself to be God. And you can also read about this in Revelation 13. Okay, so many people have thought that the Antichrist has come. And, and I can see why. Nero, back in, you know, and other emperors were considered to be the Antichrist. Various popes throughout history, people have said, this is the Antichrist. Hitler, right? How could you not live during the reign of, of World War II and not think that possibly Hitler was the Antichrist? So there have been people through that. And yet, obviously, he hasn't come. But, that's not what John's concern is here. He's like, you've heard about that. He goes, but here's what I want to tell you. He goes, even now, many antichrists have come. 
okay? So those of you who answered Satan and empowering an individual, that would be true. But it's also, there's a spirit of the Antichrist. It's the spirit and the motivation that will animate the Antichrist at the end, which is presently work at work right now, okay? So what does it mean to be the Antichrist? It's anyone. It's anyone who is anti or against or opposed to Christ, okay? Anyone who rejects the salvation and specifically Jesus as the savior, okay? So there's the Antichrist and then there's just the spirit of Antichrist. Now, what does this mean? I think for us today, I don't know about you, but when you, when you guys, come on, when you think of Antichrist, how many of you do? You have like some creepy movie in mind and you envision this person, okay? But let's talk about this. What does Antichrist really mean? Antichrist is the same as saying anti-savior. Antichrist is anti-savior because Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah. So that's why many people, you'll hear people, especially Jews for Jesus, right? They'll say, Yeshua, the Messiah, because that's what he is. And what was the Messiah? He was the deliverer. He was the savior. He was the one that they were all waiting for. And so if you're anti-Christ, I think probably for us and our, our, our language today, it'd be easier to say anti-savior, okay? Anti means against or in place of. So you can be against having a savior. That would be anti-Christ. I'm against salvation. Or you can be in place of having a savior. So instead of having a savior, I'm gonna actually put something else in that place and look to something else. Either way, that would be the spirit of having an anti-savior. I don't want a savior. I don't need a savior. That would be the, state, the spirit of the Antichrist. Here's the third thing. <clears throat> the Antichrist is one that denies that Jesus is the savior, okay? In 1 John 2, he says, who's the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. So whoever denies that Jesus is the Messiah or whoever denies that Jesus actually is the savior, okay? Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. So obviously, I would say in our culture, in our world today, this is almost everybody in a, in a sense. Because what will people say about Jesus? Even, even people who respect Jesus will say he's good. He was really good. He was incredibly moral. He was a great teacher. I just don't think he was God, okay? That's what we hear. Or we'll hear, he may have died on the cross as a martyr, but he didn't die on the cross as a savior. He showed us an example, okay? But he was just a good guy who maybe had some spiritual enlightenment, okay? That's denying that Jesus is actually the savior. Jesus didn't come. He was a teacher, but he didn't come as the teacher. He came as the savior. So, the spirit who's always at work, as the Bible tells us, in anyone who's not believing is the spirit of the Antichrist always diminishes the person and the work of Christ. 
So if we ever start to think less of who Jesus is or think less of what he's done, that's the spirit of the Antichrist at work. And all of us tempting us to think those things. Here's the fourth and last thing. The Antichrist denies the incarnation of Jesus. Denies the incarnation of Jesus. In chapter four, verse two and three, he says this. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world, okay? So now we have to remember, what did John already reveal to us about Jesus? First of all, he's the son of God, okay? So he's unique in his being. John also told us, Jesus is that which was from the beginning, He existed before all time. Again, he's the creator of everything. He is, remember, he's the word, he said, made flesh. And the word, again, in that culture meant he is the meaning and the reason and the purpose of life. He, the, the word was the very organizing principle of all of creation. And John was saying, that's who Jesus is. In our culture today, it would be the universe, Right? That's the language that's used. The universe led me or the universe. The universe is the word that's used in our culture as the Greeks use the word, the word. And John says, that's who Jesus is. And then he said, he's eternal life. He is eternal life. So God, now he says, actually came in the flesh. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And this is why John said in chapter one, we've seen him with our own eyes. We've heard him and we've touched him. God came in the flesh. That is the core of Christianity and who Jesus is. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that Jesus is actually the God man and not just a man? who had special spiritual enlightening. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And that is the devil. For this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Why is it crucial that Jesus be fully God and fully human? Incarnation. John Kelvin has this quote, and this is about as clear as I could, if I could sum it up for our time here today. Here's what John Kelvin says. In short, since neither as God alone could he feel death, nor as man alone could he overcome it, he coupled human nature with divine 
that to atone for sin, he might submit to the weakness of the one to death and that wrestling with death by the power of the other nature, he might win victory for us. Man, if I was you, I'd take a picture of that. That's an amazing quote right there. See, Jesus had to be a man so that he could actually pay the price for our sin, to offer forgiveness and reconciliation to God. Now, if he was just a man, then he would have his own sin and then he'd have to pay for his own. Somebody had to be able to walk in the flesh and have no sin in himself so he could actually pay the price for the sins of all of us. So Jesus had to be a man. He took our nature upon himself, doing for us what we would need to do, but had no power to do. And there were two things we needed to do that we don't have power to do. The first one is live a perfect life of love and oneness with the Father. We need to do that. How y'all doing on that one? No human being ever can actually walk sinless and in oneness with God but you need to, and you can't do it. So Jesus came in flesh and he did what we couldn't do. Here's the second thing. And that is to experience death as the penalty for sin, satisfying the law of God. Sin, the Bible says, what we earn for sin is separation from God, which is death. And I can tell you this, we need to pay that and we can't pay it. We can't pay it. So Jesus had to come in the flesh and pay the price of death so that you and I would never have to pay it. But then he also had to come as God because he was the only one who could overcome sin in perfect obedience and he overcame death through his resurrection so that he could live his very life. In his resurrection, Jesus is alive and he can give us his spirit so that we can live a new life. And there's only one way that could happen. Salvation, you guys, the forgiveness of our sin could only be done by somebody who could die in our place. And the full salvation of a life free from sin and in relationship with God could only happen from somebody who could rise from the dead. And there's only one person who's ever done that in the history of the world, Jesus Christ was God and the flesh. And that's important because if he wasn't, there is no salvation. And we're all left to it ourselves. Good luck. Be good enough for God. And hopefully when you die, you won't be separated from him. No, thanks. I'll take a savior. So that's why I want to share with you now, why is being saved actually the good life? Why is it that when salvation comes, it's actually good. Here's, here, I got three reasons for you. Here's the first one. Because salvation results in knowing the truth. Okay, I can finally know the truth. And I just put it this way, I can see. I can see. In fact, let's all sing this just really quick, all right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now am found. 
was blind, but now I see. Okay, so if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, if he's not the Christ, if he's not the Messiah, then the search is still on to find out what this is all about. What is the truth? What is, because you know what truth is, you guys? It's just reality. And everybody's trying to figure out what the truth is and what reality is. And so if there isn't a savior, then you're left to figure that out yourselves. What is true? So in 1 John 2, 20, he said this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. What? Well, what's the anointing of the Holy One? That's the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy One is God has actually anointed us. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 1, 21. He says, God has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So when he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, he's saying, you received the Holy Spirit of God. Guys, that's what, that's what Jesus said. He goes, when you put your faith in me, he goes, this, my spirit is actually gonna come inside of you. And one of the things the spirit is called is the spirit of truth. And so how are we gonna know the truth? Well, the truth is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. And so if we're gonna know the truth, we have to know this person and truth is reality. Now, here's what's so interesting. And we're gonna get to this later in his letter. The the word, you, you know the truth. The word he uses for know here is to see. It literally means you can see it. I love that. Because that's why we say I was blind, but now I see, right? And we've all been in a completely dark room and you have no idea what's in there. <laughs> and a light comes on and you're like, I can see it. You did not know the reality in the presence of darkness. But when the light came on, you know the truth. And what God is saying is when anyone puts their faith in Christ, they will receive the Holy Spirit and he is the spirit of truth and he will enlighten your hearts. I love this. Um, and Paul prays this in, in Ephesians chapter one. He says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know. And it's the same word. Ido in the Greek means to see. John wants us to see. He goes, you can see what you couldn't see before. You could never figure this out as a human being. The knowledge of God and the truth of who Jesus is has to be revealed. But when you receive the spirit, you finally know the truth. You finally know the word, the reason and the meaning and the purpose of everything has finally been enlightened to you and you know it. Man, and then Jesus says what? Hold to my teachings and then you're really my disciples and then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the good life. So the first thing, why is being saved such a, a beautiful thing? Is because you don't have to try to figure out the meaning of your life. You don't have to try to figure out the purpose of life. You finally know it. You see it because the very spirit of God comes into anybody who puts their faith in Christ. So finally, I can see. That's one of the benefits of salvation. Here's the second reason why salvation is such a good life. Salvation results in knowing the way. So now I can actually follow. See, the, be the beauty of salvation, again, is what? God says, I will give you a new heart. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, 
the spirit is the very one who anointed Jesus and empowered Jesus. And he goes, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now living inside of you so you can live a new life. The benefit of salvation, you guys, is now I can finally follow the way of God. And if it is love and joy and peace and patience and righteousness, in fact, I love, I can't remember exactly where it's in the scripture, but I've been meditating on this this week personally, that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on, man. And again, righteousness just means things are finally the way they ought to be. And peace and joy. That's the way of God. So in 1 John 2, he says, as for you, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in fellowship with the son and you'll be in the father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the internal life he promised us. You guys, why is salvation a good thing? Because God is saying, I am eternal life and I will come and give you eternal life right now because you're fellowshipping with me and you're experiencing this. So whoever claims to know him, right? He says, that just means you do what he commands. Well, that means I'm following him, which means I'm experiencing the way of God, which is good and right and produces good stuff. So if you have the spirit though of the antichrist, anti-Messiah, anti-savior, and you're saying Jesus was just a man, okay? Then you know what's interesting? then you don't have anybody to obey. Now, doesn't that sound good? It's so interesting because our human nature goes, man, I don't want to obey anybody. (laughs) But I want to tell you, obedience to God is the best thing that can ever happen to a human being. Because it means you follow him finally. We're following all our own ways. We're following the ways of the world. We're following the ways of our flesh. They're desiring things the opposite of God. Finally, why is salvation such a good thing? Because if Jesus is just a man, if he's just a man, then his teachings are not the way, they're a way. They're like a suggestion of many. And you can decide whether you want to follow those or not. He is not the way, but a way. A life and a teaching to take advice from and to choose what you like or which makes sense to you. But I can tell you this, if Jesus is just a man, you guys, it makes no sense to obey him. Why would you obey a man? But if he's God in the flesh, then obedience is the only thing that makes sense. Trust and obedience are the only thing because that means I'm gonna stay in line with the goodness of God. And when you receive the Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus and rose him from the dead, he gives you this new heart which is a gracious gift from God. We are now born of his spirit, giving us power to love and to have faith. And we walk in the light. So man, I can finally follow. And I want to tell you what, that is why salvation is such a great thing. Because if there is no savior, then we are left to doing whatever we think is right. And we're left to making our own decisions. But when the Holy Spirit finally comes, he said, I'm going to set you free. I remember, man, that was one of the coolest things when I finally fully gave my life to Jesus and said, okay, I'm all yours. I just remember I would wake up in the morning. I was in college at the time. And I just remember, this is so cool because I don't have to figure out what to do anymore. That's how I, I was young. I was 19. 
But I remember thinking, because I'm just going to do whatever he asked me to do. There's freedom in that. And you walk in the ways of God. And here's the last thing. Why is salvation, why is being saved such a great thing? Because salvation results in knowing love. It results in knowing love. I can finally love. Here's what salvation offers you and what it offers me. I can finally see. I can finally follow God. And I can finally love. If there's the spirit of anti-Christ, anti-Messiah, anti-Savior, if Jesus didn't come to save us, then we are forfeiting the greatest love that has ever been revealed in the history of the world. It's so great that God says you actually need power to grasp it is the love of Christ. In 1 John 3.16, he says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Is there was a Christ, a Messiah, and there was a savior. See, I don't care. I, I really, I, Susan and I, I love you. You love me. You guys have people that you love and you're close with, but the greatest human love on this planet is still conditional. We are still only loved if and because. And that's true about every human relationship. And as if it's only received conditional love, then that's what we pass on to everybody else. And so what happens is we choose who to love and we choose who not to love. Yeah, you know, by the way, can I just say, Lee, thanks for doing these dinners. I think this is one of the, two weeks ago, we talked about, do we hate anybody, right? You remember that? And most of us go, I don't hate anybody. And it's like, well, do you not like people? Yeah, I got people I don't like. There's people right in here that you don't want to have dinner with. And Jesus is going, but if I'm in you, I love everybody. And this is how the world's going to know that you're actually me. It's because you love everybody, right? I want to encourage you. I think one of the greatest steps for all of us in this room would be to actually sign up for these trios and be with people that you normally wouldn't choose and love them. If that's hard for you, I want to encourage you with everything within me. Sign up for these things. And let's obey Jesus and let's love people, all right? Okay, because we choose who to love and who not to love and we choose when to love and when not to love. That's what happens in all our human relationships. But the love of God that came in Jesus Christ, he says, I love the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. I love the world and the love of God. He says, it's just the right time. It's for the powerless and for the ungodly and for the sinner. He goes, I love people who can't do one cotton picking good thing. It's just the right time for me to love you when you are powerless to do any good thing. He goes, because if you think I love you because you're good, then if you get bad, you think I'm gonna stop loving you. That's human love. That's not divine love. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ came and died for us when we couldn't do anything to earn our own salvation. Jesus Christ came and died for us when we were ungodly when we were walking in ways that were completely outside of God. And he goes, that's when I love you. Jesus Christ came to save us when we couldn't reach the mark, no matter how hard we tried, here was perfection and nobody could meet it. And he goes, you know what? He goes, I love the fact that I get to love you while you are a sinner. I'm not asking for you to reach that mark. You can't reach that mark. You guys, if there's no savior, 
You know what? This is why every other religion says you better be good enough. And hopefully when you stand before God, after you die, you were good enough for him to accept you. Every other religion says that. Christianity is the only one that actually has a savior where Jesus Christ came and said, listen, it's not about what you do. It's about what I do for you. Powerless, ungodly sinner. Even he, the scripture says when we were his enemies, that's when God reconciled us to himself. Man, you guys, a savior is the greatest news in the world. It's the greatest news in the world. You are loved exactly as you are. You are loved exactly as you are. And that's why, and if we receive that, then we have a chance to actually give that to each other. So Romans 5, 5 says, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Salvation means you receive the Spirit of God who opens your eyes so you can see what is finally true. 